In our 20s, there are lots of adulting questions and crises that we come across on a daily basis. It means you're constantly looking for new opportunities, taking care of your mental health and life balance. means you're questioning things like, do I really enjoy being an adult? Does it matter where I live? Am I happy? Is money that important? I'm Belle. I'm Mai. And in this new season, we'll share our thoughts and experiences through our journey to our late 20s. More special guests, more deep conversations. Welcome to the M22 Podcast, Season 2. Hello, 20s fam. We're so happy to have you here again. Welcome to our new episode. And today we have a very special guest. He is John T. Trukbitsky. So welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And just for our listeners to know, could you briefly introduce yourself and, you know, where are you coming from as well as how are you here in the studio with us? How do you know us? Well, hey, everyone. I'm super glad to be here and thanks for welcoming me onto your podcast. It's such like a, a well-structured and well-thought-out podcast, so I've very much enjoyed listening to the first season and now I'm glad to be here on the second season. Um, yeah, so my name's John T. Trevitsky and I'm a drummer, producer and recently multimedia artist, if you will. And I know Mai and Val uh, from being a student at the Berkeley College of Music uh, Valencia campus where I've been studying my master's degree in music production, innovation and technology. Great. So I think we would like to start with your background. Why music and how do you came up here to Berkeley? Yeah, well, that's a huge question. But I think in terms of why music, my mom always uh, loved music and she grew up playing six instruments. And I think in that generation, like she wasn't very much encouraged to pursue music. So it was something that she always like encouraged me and my siblings to pursue wholeheartedly. So I had a number of interests, but I think music was one of the ones that I really felt a lot of encouragement to, to pursue. So I started playing drums like from the age of eight and uh, was always playing a lot and just developing my skills. And by the time I was in high school, I started my first band. And um, I guess when it comes to work, as I was trying to develop a band, it just kind of made sense to try and find a way to also work within and around music because it was something that I loved so much, like not only from a performance perspective, but from being like enveloped in the culture and history of music. So besides being an artist and being a drummer, we know you have some background also in music business. So and also like writing publications and stuff. How do you get into that? And I don't know, maybe you can talk about like a memorable experience you have in that area. Absolutely. So I guess when I mentioned that I had other interests growing up, I was also very much interested in writing. And initially I was into writing fiction. And then it just came about that a friend of mine in high school, um, he had a family friend who owned a record store uh, called Wolfie's Records. And they were looking for someone to like write online content like blog posts and show reviews and stuff like that. And um, because of my writing skills, uh, my friend uh, recommended me to this guy and I managed to get this little freelance position writing on t online content and uh, also like working a few shifts behind the counter 
in the record store. And around the same time, I was also like uh, entering my final year of high school. And at that time, I wasn't the most studious person around. And so I was looking for ways that I could kind of reduce my study load. And um, I'm from Adelaide, Australia, by the way. And so in my state, they had this system where you could take like a vocational course, like in your final year of high school. And you basically got to miss like one whole day of classes at school and go to like a vocational training place to study something of your choice. And so I saw that there was a, a music business certificate. And so I decided to do that and it ended up being quite a good time learning, I guess, the very basics of music business. And that kind of inspired me to like push the writing uh, as much as I could. And it kind of snowballed i guess into picking up another publication um as a freelancer and then another and, and another and then suddenly i found myself writing for for a whole slew of them and and writing a lot of articles and, and interviews that's that's so cool that you have that background i honestly didn't know by it all because you know on campus you're more seen as a producer and like an artist but it's really cool because nowadays artists and creatives we have to be able to do so many things and we have to be able to understand all facets of the music industry, especially music business is super important. So when I discovered that about you, I was like, wow, he's really prepared to enter this industry. And uh, it was just so cool to find out. I guess that leads me to the next question about how, how did you come across like producing and who were some of how, how did you find some of your first clients in wherever you were back then? For sure. Well, for me, producing is something that I only started much more recently. So really like my introduction to production actually came from being a client and as a drummer playing in bands and recording my work. And you, you normally as a band, you're looking for like, how can we record something in the most time effective and, uh, you know, financially conservative way possible. And I guess you learn a little bit about you know, mic placement and stuff like that because you're sitting at the drum kit waiting for the engineer to, to mic everything up and stuff like that and uh, get a bit of experience kind of observing from behind the desk and also learning a bit about the dynamics of, you know, what can happen. Um, sometimes the relationship goes smoothly with a producer and engineer. Sometimes there can be conflict and stuff like that. And I think having experience from both sides of that can really help. And then in terms of like my first clients i mean for me like i'm primarily a solo artist so really like my number one client is myself and so beyond being a client of other producers i was introduced to music production uh, when i was studying my undergraduate degree in music performance and music business and uh, we had some elective units in music production so i learned some basic mixing and some basic recording techniques and basic ableton and stuff like that and uh, that was something that uh, led this interest to develop more. And especially because I, I noticed that, especially in this day and age, the more skills you have, like the more you can do things for yourself and you can really save a lot on budget. So it was kind of a goal of myself to, yeah, become my own biggest client so that I can do things more independently. So I'm a little curious about like hearing about what you did after graduating for publications, because you were mentioning to us before that you were a roadie and like you weren't more into the logistics side of the live and uh, live entertainment industry. 
So how was your experience in that? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, before we go into that, I do remember you asked me to um, mention like a highlight of yeah. when I was yeah. doing uh, the music journalism stuff. So I might reel it back there because it took me a little while to explain how I got into it. But yeah, I think like in terms of uh, career wise, the biggest highlight was um, interviewing the band Baby Metal as a national cover story for a publication called The Music. And that was a really interesting one because they had just like blown up and become super massive and were signed to Sony and stuff like that. And it was a big interview where like all my questions had to be screened and approved. And actually my whole first slew of qu questions got completely rejected and I had to change them. And it was one of the only interviews where I did where it was like the chairman or CEO of Sony Records was on the same phone line as well, like with the publicist and the translator. So that was like a bit of a surreal experience. And then to see the result um, be on uh, magazine covers around Australia was, was quite cool. But then some of my other personal favorites, I really loved interviewing Zach Wilde, um, who used to be the guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne. And he was just such a nice guy and so fun to interview. And, uh, and Burton C. Bell from Fear Factory was, a, was another highlight there. But I guess in terms of uh, being a stagehand or a roadie, that was something that I kind of fell into as well because I was um, a year or two out of high school. I was uh, not very uh, gainfully employed <laughs> and I was kind of like, you know, on the lookout for a job but not looking very hard. And I just met someone who said, oh, I just picked up this summer job as a as a roadie and i think i can i can get you a job and let me introduce you to the boss and um he was a guy who while being a crew boss for this company called event personnel australia was also like promoting local bands and stuff in the scene and so my friend introduced me to him and it turns out he was kind of already aware of some of the concerts and shows that i was promoting in the local scene so he was just kind of like i've heard of you like you can have the job. And then next thing I knew, I was uh, bumping in for the One Direction concert at the uh, Amy Stadium in, uh, in Adelaide, which was a pretty massive show. How was the work after, like, they packed after a tour or something, like, with other artists? Too? Did you get to actually see the artists or, like, you know, like, have an experience about just being there at the end of their show? Because I'm sure, like, they usually end up, like, pretty late. So you get in early before the concert start and then you go back to do whatever and then you come back, right? That's how it usually works. Yeah, so that's how, how it works. I think um, a misconception for some people who maybe don't have an insight into the, into the live entertainment industry is that, and it was certainly also an insight for me when I started the job as well, um, is that like um, when a band's coming to your town and they're a big band, the day before the show, there's just an empty stadium there and all their trucks with all their equipment that they've hired, especially if they're international, they hire it all within Australia and hire trucks and pack it into trucks to take it around the company, the country, sorry. And so all the trucks pull up in the morning and then you have a local crew, which I was a part of, who basically unloads all the gear from the trucks and you have lighting, video, audio, backline sometimes um, stage, which they call carpentry, um, and all sorts of stuff, props, depending on the particular show. And it all gets built on the morning of the show, and then it gets packed down after the show finishes. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, interacting with artists or meeting w 
artists and stuff like that. Um, the role of like a local crew member is like quite removed from that. And we have like a pretty strict contract about, you know, not being uh, permitted to approach an artist or to even approach a member of their team, especially anything like asking for free tickets or asking for a photo is definitely like a fireable offense. And I mean, I haven't looked into the the employment details in a while, but I'm pretty sure there are like some form of like NDA. So anything that I've like observed in my time working that like may be like harmful to an artist's image or something like that is like not a story that I would be able to share on a podcast like this. Yeah. But you do in your time um, see artists passing by like from their green room to the stage or from the stage to the green room. I mean, often they have a vehicle waiting for them uh, backstage. So they walk off the stage into the vehicle and go straight to their hotel. At that One Direction show, they actually had a massive police escort. So it was like two lines of police on either side for the band members to walk through. Because I think at that time, they was a little bit of like negativity towards them, especially from, I guess, like, you know, older people or just people who don't really understand that kind of pop boy band phenomenon. Um, so I think they had a lot of security just in case someone wanted to like throw a bottle at them or something silly like that. But there was one story when I interacted with an artist um, <laughs> and it's kind of funny to me um, because the, the artist was uh, Macklemore and he was playing with Ryan Lewis. And so... Another thing about these stadium concerts is like they can position the stage like wherever they want inside the arena based on how many tickets they've sold to like always make it look more crowded than it is. And so, you know, I'd seen concerts where the stage is all the way at the back. I'd seen concerts where the stage was like 25% of the way in. And to be fair, in my hometown, like tickets don't sell very well. And so there's kind of like a wider problem that may not necessarily have been completely his fault but this was the first show i ever saw where the stage had been placed like 50 percent of the way into the arena floor and so what happened was that when we started the shift we had to walk like all the way from backstage like quite like a long way along to to get on the stage and start packing things down and Macklemore just so happened to be walking off the stage this same long distance uh, to go to his ride or whatever. And I was just minding my business, like wanting to start work. And I saw him walking in the same direction. And I kind of started like veering off in the other direction just to like stay out of his way. But then he started walking more towards me and I was like, what's going on? And he just beelined to me and held his hand out for a fist bump. And so I fist bumped Macklemore and I was just like, I don't know, does he think he's making my day or something? Like maybe he thinks I'm a fan, but that was just one of those funny experiences, I guess, that I can uh, reflect on for sure. Well, for one, I was lucky that I was like a ground crew member and not a touring crew member because, um, I mean, when I was first starting out and you talk to some of the touring people, I had conversations with them to see if like career progression was something that I might be interested in. And what I kind of found out from them that really, if you go from the level of being a ground crew member to a touring crew member, the additional pay is not quite worth the additional expectations of the job 
of constantly traveling and being away from your family and having to work longer hours they're typically like you know you finish a bump out between like 1 and 3 a.m and they're getting on the red eye flight at like 5 6 a.m to fly to the next city and then start the bump in for that show sometime between like 7 and 9 a.m in the morning so it's not necessarily like as glamorous as it might seem and then in terms of like, you know, mental health or like physical health and stuff, there are, at least in my experience working in Australia, there's things that are in place legally. Um, you know, if you get injured, there's like uh, workplace compensation and stuff like that. But the reality of the industry is a bit more kind of like, I don't know, it's like when you go to science class in high school and they give you a safety briefing. It's really kind of how seriously you take it that's going to, you know, reduce the risk that you have in the workplace. And, you know, people have been injured. Um, I know a few instances of people actually being killed um, in accidents and stuff like that. Um, so really you just have to be on high alert and looking out for yourself and also, you know, like they have a policy of like, if you're not comfortable doing something for a safety reason that you're technically like not obligated to do it. But in that environment, it does actually take like a lot of, I guess, willpower to like turn to the person who's supervising you and say, actually, I think the way you're suggesting we do this is unsafe and I'm not willing to, to do that. So that definitely takes like experience and skill to develop that. But I think that industry actually has a long way to go in terms of, um, you know, putting in things in place for mental health and really, you know, cultivating like healthy environment like on, on the job site. But I think there are some organizations who are trying to do stuff like that. Like there's an NGO in Australia called Support Act, which is really amazing and they focus a lot on mental health, like not just for roadies and touring crew, but musicians and industry professionals of all kinds. And they actually set up this, um, it was like, a, what's it called? Like, like a fund during the pandemic where like if you were employed in that industry and you were like um, experiencing financial difficulty, like you could get some financial support. And I was lucky enough to be uh, a beneficiary of that. So it's nice to know that there are some organizations working too make things better in that industry yeah and yet that like usually is not common in a lot of countries so it's very nice that they were pushing because the live industry entertainment like the live industry actually stopped during the pandemic completely and like all a lot of people lose their jobs and i know like also artists like we're not like emerging artists obviously like can sustain themselves somehow so after being a roadie um you were actually touring with cobra how was that experience? Because you were like, my ask about like, how it would be like to be away from home. And then you actually did that after. So how was your experience on that? Yeah. So the timeline of that, I went on tour with uh, the metal band that I was drumming in called Cobra uh, in 2016. So it was kind of in, in the middle of like also working as a roadie and taking time off. And I mean, that's one of the great things ab about being a stagehand is you don't have a roster per se and you get called up on a per gig basis so it's very easy to say i'm taking two weeks to go overseas and play shows and for me like that tour in, in indonesia was like one of the best experiences of my life i mean like it's one of the dreams that you have when you're starting a band as a kid to like go to another country and play shows and 
to have like a tour van and to be with your friends playing music and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, Indonesia has like a really strong like uh, punk and heavy metal scene and DIY culture um, is really big there. So we weren't like particularly known there, but um, because this promoter reached out to us, um, basically people were there on the basis of it being a metal show and some local bands that were known were um, playing on the lineups with us. But it was really fun because it was kind of like, you know, a a touring holiday i would say because like we weren't necessarily we didn't necessarily have like a work visa so we weren't it wasn't a commercial tour where we were like making any money like we were just playing the shows because we wanted to get out there play shows and, and build fans and so we played eight shows um across the island of east java and it was just so much fun you know getting on the bus going to a new place playing a show we, you know, got on scooters and went to the top of these mountains and we went to these amazing hot springs and just did so much fun stuff and met so many great people who just took care of us because, I mean, the whole time we were just like sleeping on floors like uh, at the houses of friends of the promoters. So every city we were in, we just met new people and had such a fun time. But yeah, it can be hard being away from home. I mean, at least like in our day and age with technology, like you can kind of keep up with people on social media and through texting and stuff like that. But it can be really hard, like, um, you know, if something unexpected happens while you're away and you have to deal with that when you're not, you know, around the people that are close to you and maybe you have something on your plate that you still have to uh, fulfill your commitments when you may want to be like grieving or doing something like that. So that can be really challenging as well. So living a little bit aside, the part of the industry, the live entertainment industry, and also like music business, let's talk about your solo project. How did you start it? And like, how do you find also your style as a musician, as an artist? Absolutely. Well, I'm definitely still finding my style, so that's an ongoing thing. But in terms of how I started the project, I, I never initially set out to say, like, I'm going to make a solo project or I'm going to make some solo mu music. As I said before, I was um, studying music performance and music business in Melbourne and uh, primarily doing, um, you know, music theory and performance-based uh, units and a lot of uh, drumming courses. But we had some electives and I pretty much chose all music production-based electives. So I did like uh, Introduction to Ableton, I did a sampling and synthesis course, and I also did like a Introduction to DJing course. And when I was living in Adelaide, I had a lot of friends who were DJs who introduced me to a lot of electronic music and I also like helped book them a few gigs here and there. Um, so I had kind of this background in electronic music and then started making some work for assignments. And then kind of when I got into it and I was enjoying it, I was like, okay, like there's something here. I can kind of roll with this. Let's try and make an EP and put it out. Um, but it's definitely like a different progression from uh, being a drummer like in a band and working collaboratively to doing everything yourself. Um, and for me, obviously, my strengths are in rhythm and drumming and my, you know, harmony and theory skills are like pretty lackluster. 
So you kind of come in being like, oh, great. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do some music production and I'm going to make some tracks that sound like A or B, like my favorite artists in those genres. And you make some stuff and you're like, yeah, this doesn't really come close. And then it becomes, it's a journey because I think when you come from a world of, uh, of recorded music and live instrumental music, a lot of those influences like seep into when you're making electronic music, like whether you want them to or not. And that can be like a different challenge as opposed to someone who say grew up only listening to electronic music. And then when they set out to make electronic music, they're mainly going to be drawing upon like the conventions uh, of that genre. But then when you have other influences, they can seep in whether you want them to or not. So it's just kind of been an ongoing journey, I guess. Yeah. And I guess, how did you decide to come to Berkeley? What was your reasoning behind it? And we all know that we're working on our own culminating experience project. So could you share with the audience a little bit what you've been doing this past year here in Spain? Absolutely. Well, for me, it was a little bit spontaneous deciding to apply and come to Berkeley um, last year. Because I finished my uh, undergraduate studies like towards the end of 2021 and I had been working and saving up quite a lot of money because my original plan was just to go traveling for a year and I wanted to travel throughout Europe and just, you know, as anyone wants to do, take a break after studying for a long time. And I uh, graduated uh, from, from undergrad and initially my plan was while traveling, I wanted to visit some universities in Europe um, that have like an English speaking like music performance master or something like that. And then kind of get a gauge between like what I think of the school and what I think of the actual city that it's in. And then after returning from this trip, have an idea of where I would want to apply to do my master's degree. And I think because I was researching so many schools... I've started to get hit by targeted advertising from Berkeley Valencia and I didn't know that Berkeley had an international campus in Europe and uh, so I was curious and I mean the campus is like very impressive looking um, so that kind of drew me in and when I saw that they had you know a number of different post <clears throat> postgraduate programs the uh, music production innovation and technology course um, started to catch my interest because I had just uh, made this solo EP and I didn't really know how to perform it live. And I saw that in this course, you not only, you know, learn how to perform electronic music live, but also how to uh, program your own visuals and to make a lot of content. And there was also the traditional foundation of like studio recording and recording instruments, which I thought would be helpful for um, any demo work for bands that I would be in in the future or, you know, previous bands that I've had in Australia that I could return to work with. And so it just started to seem like something that was really uh, intriguing to me. And I was doing my research and I found out they had like a 50% acceptance rate. So I figured, you know what, at the moment I've just graduated. So all my submission materials are kind of at their strongest. And if I go and travel for a year, there's a chance I might just not want to go back to studying. And so I thought, if I don't do it now, I probably never will. And if it's a 50% admission rate, I'll basically be flipping a coin. 
if I get in, I'll go. If I don't get in, I can still go and travel and enjoy myself. Uh, so I applied and then I got in and then it, my fate was kind of sealed from there. Um, but it was definitely, you know, an exciting thing and, a, you know, a nice way to have like your work up until that point be recognized as something that's kind of special. Yeah. So in terms of my project, I kind of already had an idea while I was applying or even before apl applying that I wanted to develop like a live set for my own music and something that maybe incorporates drumming and electronic music. And then I also wanted to incorporate visuals because I had noticed recently in this day and age that visuals are just a, like another element that really captures people's attention and can draw people in who might not be familiar with your style of music or a fan of it but you can like catch their interest in another way and so i came and i had a few other ideas for projects but i ended up going for going for that one because it was really like the one that was closest to my goals and set out to make this project straight away and so i was developing all new uh, material uh, for the live setting and ended up making this set that has visuals that I programmed and it incorporates uh, live percussion and controllerism. I play the keyboard a bit. I do live effects and a little bit of singing as well, which was a new thing for me. And it turned out to be this really cool thing. And I guess I, you asked me like what style the music yeah. is, which I didn't address, I guess, until this <laughs> point. But at the moment, the music that I've been doing, the first EP was definitely more kind of left field, ambient, down tempo kind of electronica. And then the material in the, the new live set of unreleased material is kind of still has some down tempo and trip hop stuff. But there's also a bit of kind of like psychedelic and industrial kind of vibes. And a little bit a little bit of techno influence but that's something that i'm kind of developing towards because i do really love techno and ebm and house music and am planning to make stuff that more specifically fits in that genre but i have a tendency if i don't focus very hard for things to get experimental very easily so <laughs> so keeping up with your solo project where are the next steps now that we graduated what are you planning to do with your project What are some of the goals you have by now? Throughout my time at Berkeley, I was lucky enough to um, have a showcase where I performed my live set and had a camera crew there and we captured some really nice multi-camera footage, uh, which I've edited um, and um, so I'm planning to release these videos because my goal is to get this show out there onto stages around Europe um and you know and further if i can and so it's kind of a multi-step plan of like releasing the songs like the studio versions of the songs from the live set and then also um releasing the corresponding live videos doing some single launch shows if i can and i've also been applying to like as many festivals and open calls that, that i can that i think are relevant um so it's really just like uh, keeping the fingers crossed and hoping um that the that the show resonates with people and yeah i mean that's the immediate plan for that and i also do have some ideas for like future projects and how to kind of extend like 
the vision. <laughs> well, we're really excited to I mean, see everything that you've been doing this year and continuing forward just for our audience who are in their 20s. Do you have any advice or tips on, you know, how do they navigate their career or when you were at that stage? Um, you know, how did you figure out your next steps? What were some thoughts that you had? And how did you just go for it and are at this stage in your life where you're able to basically pursue your dreams and, you know, pr your passions? Absolutely. That's a brilliant question. Um, and uh, one reason that I've enjoyed listening to the podcast is that like of some of the advice that you have for people in their 20s. I think even if you're not in your early 20s anymore, not in your 20s at all, it's still really nice to hear that advice and, and relate it to the, the perspective that you had when you were at that, that age. I think that's one of the best parts about this show. For me, I think when I was studying, I always used to groan when a guest would come in and they would say, you know, don't expect things to happen straight away and it's going to take a long time to develop what you're doing and, you know, don't be impatient and, you know, you have to work really hard to, to get what you're trying to get. And I would always groan and I would always be thinking, oh, but I've done this and I've done this and I've been working this hard and, and so and so. But I think especially after this year, one thing that I've really realized is how kind of true that is. And I guess for me, like I really like pushed my work ethic like harder than I ever have before this year. And I really like implemented like a lot of lifestyle choices that were, you know, really healthy and able to give me like a lot of clarity. And so one thing you do is reflect and then you think, oh, yeah, I was kind of feeling entitled and thinking that I should have this or be at this place by this point. And, oh, yeah, maybe I did think that I was like doing a really good job for this employer or this company. But on second thoughts, actually, I was also just as invested in like having a good time and, you know, doing things that were, you know, beneficial for me. And so I think when you're in your 20s, it can be hard to like see from a more objective point of view, like how you appear like to the people that you're maybe working for and starting working for and wishing that you were being like recognized more and you really have to like earn that respect and earn that reputation for like being reliable and have like a really strong portfolio of like good work and that's something that like you know you can spend a lifetime doing you know we're all on our journey to do that you know i think there's another side of like now talking about our 20s but also we have in our audience like independent artists or people that aspire to be an artist you know and there's also this part where we expect our own music to be so perfect sometimes that it takes us a long while to release something or even just like doing the diy and wanting to do everything and not um leading your project more than doing it all yourself so do you have any tips in that for our audience in terms of releasing their music not trying to postpone in showing what they actually do to the world you know for sure i i do think that that the strategy of releasing is like very personal and like at the end of the day like your art like you have a special relationship with your art and like it's ultimately like up to you to decide like how you share it with the world but i do agree that there are a lot of like pressures on like not only like when to do things but how to do things and so I think the main advice would just be to like not get caught up in like 
what you think is like the right way to do things because in most cases like you have an intuition of like how you see your project like developing and unfolding and so if you only listen to like the strategies of other people you're gonna start like ignoring your intuition and ignoring the way that you want your project to be um, revealed to the world and that can kind of be special in itself so uh, it's a bit of a cliche to say, but being authentic is definitely really important. And yeah, I guess in terms of what you were saying with the perfectionism, it, it's hard for me to encourage people to release more music because I'm one of those people that just has like hard drives full of unreleased and unfinished stuff. Um, but I think like always the first step, if you're not ready to release, is just share it with the people around you. Share it confidentially. And the more that you like share it with people and the people who support you, you know, are going to like it and they're going to encourage you and that can motivate you to get to the point of uh, release. Yeah, I think that is very important because usually like we are so perfectionist, as you were mentioning, that we need someone or people around us to push us to do something. And then we realize we were being too picky. So that's just always that I think musicians, artists and everyone, yeah, just pass through that yeah well this was an incredible conversation i think i learned a lot about you but also a little bit more about the live side of things and i'm sure our audience would really appreciate that we talk a lot about record we talk a lot about entrepreneurship which is yeah. where our separate interests but it's really cool to have you know someone who's actively pursuing that path and have had such incredible experiences in a different part of the world so Thank you so much for being here and sharing with us, with our audience. And yeah, if you really like this episode, you know, where can we, where can we find you? Where can the audience find you and listen to your music? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Like, it's been such a great experience being here and being on the show. And um, I'm glad that you really loved the um, insight into the live side. And it's such a big can of worms. And I know we were covering like a lot on the show. But if you do want to have me back and do an episode focusing like just on the live industry and like the being a stagehand and stuff, there's lots more stories to tell. So I'd love to come back and do that one day. And then in terms of where you can find me, I mean, <laughs> my name is pretty hard to spell and pronounce. <laughs> so the easiest way to find me is my Instagram handle is Polish Aristocrat. And um, from there, you can hit the link in my bio, which leads to my streaming services and my website and you can join my mailing list and stuff like that so i definitely encourage you to hit that link in the bio follow the instagram and go on your favorite streaming service and and stream the music but the title of my solo project is trukvitsky which is my last name well that's great they can also find you on our social media and of course we're gonna be sharing some uh, parts of this episode for you to enjoy and to invite you to listen to the full here on DSPs. So thank you so much for being with us and congratulations for graduation. We're so excited to see you what's going on next for you and your next steps and also around Europe. So thank you so much for being here. And well, guys, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. See you soon. Bye. Bye.